And that's after Psalms, Proverbs, the book of wisdom, and then Ecclesiastes, the book that's often thought of as a lot of folly. Um, pray with me, if you would, and we'll get started. Lord, we're grateful to you for all things, for life. And we're grateful for fellowship, we're grateful for our Savior, we're grateful for your word. So please bless us at this time. Spirit of God, we pray you open our eyes and our, soften our hearts to hear and receive your word and that we would be transformed in a way that brings you glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so, um, glad you're here this morning. As you've gathered by now, um, on Friday we had uh, former Pastor Steve's memorial and uh, that my preaching or teaching out of Ecclesiastes was in no way connected, but it seems incredibly fitting. Um, we, are, we are often reminded through death of the brevity of life, the fact that we are like a vapor, that uh, we start life as a flower, and it's an awesome blessing to see a whole bunch of Fraser flowers in that row. Um, but we start as a flower and we bloom and hopefully we're productive and then the flower fades and we pass away. And um, as we get into Ecclesiastes, I would say that is one of the many things the author of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, was struggling with. Uh, that life is brief, that life is ephemeral, that life is elusive. And um, if you're following along, in your insert with the blanks. I just put ephemeral in there because it's kind of a cool word and I thought it might get your attention. Uh, if you don't have this, something that looks like this with blanks and you want one, uh, we can probably get you one. I certainly have a couple extras. So if anybody needs one, just raise your hand and Chris will make it magically appear. Okay, we're good. Um, yeah, so br life, it's brief, it's ephemeral, it's elusive. And that's one of the many themes, as we'll cover quickly, in this book of Ecclesiastes. Um, so I, I thought off with the question, you know, would you rather? Would you rather have Elon or Elon Musk, who, by the way, is pretty much accredited as being the world's wealthiest man, his wealth according to my research, is about 30 times greater than the poorest country's uh, gross national product. That'd be Burundi. So uh, one guy is worth about 30 times more than an entire nation can produce in a year. Um, so would you rather have Musk, uh, Xi Jinping? Anybody know who that is? Right. Mr. China, so to speak, right? The ruler of China. And a 42-year-old Aussie mathematician, nobody knows who that is, right? Credited as being the most intelligent person in the world whose name is, where are you, buddy? Terence Tao, whose IQ is 230? I, my IQ is low enough, I don't even know what that means, except it's higher than mine, <laughs> right? So, I selected these three people because Musk, the world's wealthiest person, um, Xi Jinping, 
most powerful by right of China has the greatest GNP and the most people. Um, other powerful leaders would be the President of the United States and uh, Putin. Vladimir Putin are usually in that group. So wealth, power, and intelligence. Um, would you rather... I brought this in because we pretty much all have heard of Mr. Musk, right? Elon Musk. We've heard of China, whether or not you know who Xi Jinping is. And we know that being smart is a good thing. That's kind of where my IQ is. Being smart is a good thing. Whether or not you know who's the smartest and what 230 actually means. But these are real things. These are real values. These are things that have importance, right? Money, is anybody here money is absolutely unimportant to? Yeah, that didn't take long. Uh, power, right? Even if you're a very humble, meek person, power is important. We make our own decisions in life because God has given us a certain measure of power. And intelligence is very important. Um, whether it's at 230 or 120 or something under 100. Intelligence is important. Well, would you rather have that or Solomon, who is the one that I've identified as the author of Ecclesiastes, and I think it's kind of unquestionable, but that's my opinion. Because Solomon possessed wealth. He possessed power. He possessed intelligence. I would say the world has never known a person like Solomon who had virtually everything. He was, I think, unquestionably a genius. He was a naturalist. He understood the nature, and he taught on nature. He was an educator. He was a songwriter. Uh, more than 1,000 songs were written by that guy. Now, this Aussie mathematician, I bet he don't write songs. I'm just saying. I bet he does not write songs. I doubt well, Musk might, I don't know. But I doubt if the ruler of China is known to be a naturalist, an educator, a songwriter. And I put a sage because he wrote over 3,000 proverbs. He was a man of great wisdom, which is one of the things he's really known for. Uh, writing proverbs, not all of the book of proverbs, I don't think. But he wrote like 3,000 of them. That comes from uh, the scripture in First Kings. He was a prophet. He doesn't get a lot of props for that, but he did prophesy some things. He was the ultimate developer. He built the world's central, most powerful nation at the time. He developed it. He built, among other things, this temple that the God of gods, the living God, would visibly come and demonstrate his presence in. He was the ultimate developer. He was a statesman, a master of internal affairs. He handled international commerce and relations. Man, if only some people today would learn from that, right? Because it's like everybody in international relations wants to, you know, they don't shake hands with an open hand, which was supposed to be a gesture of culturally, a gesture of friendship. It's like everybody wants to meet with a fist. And he was a philosopher. And if you hate philosophy, I'm sorry, but Ecclesiastes is pretty much a philosophical book. Now, before you throw it under the bus, 
it's inspired, it's in the canon of scripture, there is much, approaching it properly, there's much we can learn. Okay, 1 Kings 3.3 3 tells us that he loved God. And 1 Kings chapter 11 says, and God appeared to him twice. Now, I don't know where each of you are at in your faith. If you could confidently say, I love God, or maybe you would like to aspire to be there. And I don't know if God's ever appeared to you. He certainly has never appeared to me like he did to Solomon. I mean, it was inconclusive the living God appeared to him. Very unique person. So is he relevant to me here and now? Is he relevant to you? Is there, if you're thinking Musk and the ruler of China and the smartest man and all these things that our world and life values, like wealth and power and intelligence, and I'd have to say, and health and good looks and a whole bunch of other things, can we learn from Solomon? I'd say yes. Some of the themes in Ecclesiastes, uh, first one is vanity. That can also be considered as meaningless, empty, absurd, futile. I wonder if my bro Steve right now has the ability to look back and think, you know, I did some things that were kind of dumb. I mean, that was empty. That was futile. I know he would look back and say there were many things I'm glad I did. You know, that things that carry off from time into eternity. But we all, from time to time, we engage in things that are empty, futile. And Solomon, at this point in his life, was struggling with that. It's like, what's the point of all of this? Another theme was life is unfulfilling, apart from God. In fact, I would say that might be the overarching one, that life is unfulfilling. It's empty. It's meaningless. It's like a vapor apart from God. I'll hit the pause button. You guys who know me, you know I get totally carried away in this. So if you can't keep up or you don't get all the blanks, you can raise your hand. I'm totally cool with that and ask a question. But I'm moving. So, you know, just hang on to your seatbelt and ride with me. Okay, another thing he struggled with was the effects of sin. Well, who wouldn't? If you're the wisest man, wouldn't you look around and think, this is messed up? If you were in western Ukraine right now, wouldn't you look around and think, man, it shouldn't have been like this? That's one thing he struggled with. Injustice. We don't have that problem in the United States of America, but theoretically, some countries do. Injustice. The inevitability of death. Back to Steve again, right? And it's inevitable. And Solomon, who had all this stuff, was struggling with the fact that, like it was said, we come with nothing, we leave with nothing. The inevitability of death. He also wrestled with the righteous versus the wicked, not necessarily verses against each other, but looking at these two things. You know, it's like, why do good things happen to bad people? Or why do bad things happen to good people? And, you know... There's an election, this person looks perfect, but this scumbag gets elected. And it's like, where's the sense in that? And of course, God and man. And um, God versus man. Um, God who is timeless. And man who is time-bound. 
Okay, well, chapter three, it's about time. And I put that in there kind of as a joke, like, okay, well, it's about time, Greg. You finally get to what we're going to talk about, right? Chapter three, but chapter three is about time. As he gets through these first two chapters and then he gets to three, he suddenly hits on time. And he says, for everything, there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plan and a time to pluck up what is planted. This is a familiar passage, especially among folk song writers or something like that. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. It's very much a time to break down in Ukraine right now. A time to weep, especially a year ago was a time to weep. And a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, that would be me, and a time to sow, that would be my wife. (laughs) Tends to work that way. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, a time for peace. That's a, a very, very popular thing, but um, popular part of scripture. But I just thought I would touch on this briefly. Time, this is some of the philosophy kind of part of it. Is time, when you think of time, do you think of it as cyclical or circular? Or do you think of it as linear? Meaning, do you think of time as what goes around, comes around, that kind of a thing? Or is it linear from A to B? This is a time, a time to speak. What would you say? I'm going to pick on Jed if nobody else volunteers, because that's my bro. What would you say, bro? Linear? Linear? Everybody's going to nod. Any courageous person going to say cyclical? Both? Yeah. There's a ton of cyclical things, right? My watch goes around and around in circles. Yes? The sun. So do you. (laughs) We'll pray for you again. (laughs) Uh, The earth goes, the earth revolves, right? 24 hours. It's a day. The moon goes around the earth a month. The earth goes around the sun. So many things in life are, in fact, cyclical. Many things. Most religions and ideologies think of time entirely as cyclical. What's one world religion that's notorious for that? Hinduism, maybe, but I'm thinking Buddhism, reincarnation, right? They, they ultimately think everything is cyclical. And time is this thing. Joel's trying to anticipate my thoughts. You could put that one back up if you want, bro. Time, the concept of time happens within the span of eternity. And I use the word span because there's no such thing as a measurable span of eternity. So, the reason this is important to me is because it's a direct reflection of God. God is immeasurable, right? 
You can't show up with, to God with a scale and weigh him or measure him with a tape measure. He, there are no restrictions like that. There are no physical components that would apply to him. So eternity just is, and time, if you can read my goofy little graphic, happens in eternity. So eternity is a reflection of God, and God is a reflection of eternity in that it's unlimited. It's not, there's not a beginning of eternity. There is a beginning of time, yes? yes, yes right. Yes. Yeah. First verse in the Bible, in the beginning, that means the beginning of time. There will be an end of time, right? And we're all living here like little flowers between those two things, where God exists over and above and before and after and all around. Okay, and if you could give me the other one, Joel, please. So if you think of time as cyclical, there are cyclical elements to time. I mean, the whole way we measure time and days and years is based, right, on cyclical stuff. But that happens within time. There's the beginning of time, and time marches on until the end of time. So these cycles, I'm not talking reincarnation, happen within time. Now, the, one of the reasons I'm mentioning this is cultural context. But first, I need to give you that big blank, huh? The cycles occur within a linear progression, sandwiched between eternal states. Now, I just picked that. Hopefully, that works for you. Eternal states is actually just eternity. But cycles of time happen in that linear progression, as Jed mentioned, from the beginning to the end of time, and we just keep going. But the cultural context, I'm all about context in the Bible, and the cultural context is only one part of context in the Bible. If you know uh, ancient cultures, including Hebrew, they had ways of looking at things, and they weren't necessarily right on target, or scientific. Biblical truth given to them was. But to give you an example, it was a common belief that if you did good, this is among Jewish people who worship Yahweh. If you did good, God would always do good back to you. If you did bad, God would always do back to you. So, if something bad happens to you, you did something bad, right? That's the whole book of Job. And all of his buddies are like, fess up, Job. Come on, we know you messed up. Let's hear it. Come on. That's inspired scripture, but that's not really a biblical principle. It's a general principle. If we do good things, generally good things will happen. But there's plenty of good people that bad stuff happens to, right? I mean, you only got to hang around the world for like a day, and you can start to figure that part out. Okay, so this is part of the cultural context here for Solomon. And Islam, Buddhism, pantheism, a whole bunch of other beliefs see time as very cyclical. Verses 1 through 8 are seasons of times and the actions. And then he even says, um, verse 11, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Okay, so when you read those verses, you think, well, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Okay, 
the Bible nor Solomon. He's not advocating the benefit of all of these things. He's just comparing them. He's saying there is in life a time that killing happens and there's a time when healing happens. You follow me? The reason I'm camping on this is there are groups who take doctrine out of this book because they pick some uh, artistic expression. They ignore the cultural relevance, the whole biblical context, and they say, well, the Bible says, you know, when you sleep, the dead sleep and they know nothing. So then they believe in annihilism. It's like when you're dead, you're dead. And they completely ignore like eight, another 1,500 pages of scripture. And we can't do that. So you have to look at everything in its context. So there is a time for war and a time for peace. But Solomon right now is not saying in this text, he's not advocating war or peace. He's comparing them with time. I don't know if that's too philosophical, if your IQ is not at least 75 like mine is. But, but that's really important. And I'm camping on that because this whole book, you must approach this whole book that way. Otherwise, you're going to get messed up because there's weird stuff in this book. That surely should have got an amen. Okay. So there's Solomon's personal context. Where's he at in life? I can tell you one thing. He's not where he was when we mentioned earlier about he loved God and God's appearing to him and he's got this passion for God. No, this comes later. And if you know the history of Solomon, that dude ends up so messed up, it's sorry, right? He starts collecting, well, he was a statesman. So he starts collecting princesses from neighboring countries because that's how they build alliances and after a while, I'm going to assume he's like, hey, this is a pretty good thing. So then he starts collecting concubines as well. And we do know he had a great love for women, which is also, I think, a very nice way of saying sex. And that led to his downfall. Shocker. Sex led to someone's downfall. Who would have thought, right? I mean, sex outside of God's way of doing things. Okay, so all that is going on here. And in the biblical context, you have to remember, in Ecclesiastes, the gospel's not come yet. There's no New Testament yet. Right? We interpret scripture with scripture. We, for the last 2,000 years, have had the whole back 25% or so of the Bible. So now we can look in the Old Testament and we can see things and we can think, okay, what's this mean? And consider it in all of scripture and interpret it and apply it that way. That's why Spencer teaches the Bible over and over and over and over and over, because it's so vitally important. Otherwise, you take stuff out of context, you, everything gets weird. And Ecclesiastes is potentially the weirdest book. I also think it's awesome, because it applies to everything today. Our whole world is seeking pleasure. Our whole world is seeking sex. Our whole world is seeking wealth. Our whole world is seeking all the things that this man tried and found empty. Now we can either read from him and think, thank you, God. I don't have to make all his mistakes. Or we can say, well, that was him. I think I know better. I'm going to try it all on my own and see how it works out. 
that's what the Bible would call a fool, which we've all been there. Okay, so that's the, this whole context. And where I'm going with this, I'll just read the next few verses. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them, man, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now this is not the end. This is not the, the ultimate thing to aspire to. Remember, we have the New Testament. But this was Solomon at a hard time in his life, looking at things, try, having tried all the things that we all want to try and probably want to grab with both hands. And he's like, you know, pretty much at the end of the day, I think, Eat, drink, do your job, worship God. That, in fact, is how he ends this book. Fear God, keep his commandments. But in verse 11, he says that God has placed eternity in their hearts. This is kind of also well, often quoted, but can be a little confusing text in I will just leave it with you as this. God has placed in the heart of humans, mankind, men, women, children, to some degree, as they grow, um, this concept of eternity, not just time, right? We live right here. You're looking at the time. My granddaughter's wondering, how's grandpa going to finish this in the next two to three minutes? Because I told her when I was going to be done. Amen? She's too shy, but that was an Amen. So there's this thing about time, and we all live in time, right? Brad, how old are you? Sixty-one. He's meticulous about it. Sixty-one. First of all, I would have thought you younger, but so how much of those brief, fast? I'm assuming sixty-one years. Do you clearly remember? Go ahead, Sue, give him one of those. <laughs> Some things you would rather not. Right. Yeah. But there would be a lot of good things you probably wish you remembered more right. or better. Time, it's fleeting. It's cruising. And God has placed in your heart the ability to think eternity. That there is an eternity. Now, you can live your whole life ignoring it. Even denying it. I could live my whole life ignoring gravity, denying gravity. Will it change? Is it going to change anything? No. Right? If something is true, it is true. Eternity is true because it's what God teaches. And he is eternal. If anybody knows eternity, there's only one person and it would be him. Right? We're all here for a blink of an eye. He's been there. <laughs> He's created time. He's the only living expert on eternity. So why wouldn't you take his viewpoint? <laughs> Nobody else has been around very long. I mean, think about it. It's kind of silly. 
He's the expert on eternity. I implore you, take his opinion. He knows his subject. Okay, so that's eternity. God has placed eternity in my heart. That ability to think, okay, I'm going to die kind of not very far off now. I'm like mid-60s. He's placed that in my heart to respond to that, not to ignore it or deny it. And the other word is heart. This, uh, that's a whole can of worms when it comes to defining that. But think of it as the seat of the will, the immaterial or inner nature. It's that part of me that's inside. And it's not the pum-pum-pum-pum-pum or pum-pum-pum-pum-pum. Because one day it'll be beep, right? But the eternity part's still there. So my heart, especially in the Old Testament generally means that immaterial part of me. You can figure out soul and spirit and, you know, nefesh and all those kind of things. It's not simple. But just think of it, your heart is that immaterial part of you. And God, in his great love and goodness, has made each of us not like our dog, no matter how much you love your dog, or a horse, or a salamander, or a ball python, or, you know, anything like that. He has made us able to think that way. Like there is an eternity. There is something more. And everybody wonders that at the graveyard, right? They're either like, I really hope there's nothing after that because if there is, I'm in trouble. Or I need to get some answers. And if you're in that category, well, if you're in either of those two categories, I encourage you to get answers. Because the third category is I'm coming, Lord. At your time. You call me, I'm coming. Okay. So now I'll leave you with this. What time is it? Either for you or for someone else. What time is it? All this time to plant, time to kill, time to weep, time to mourn, you know, grow, this, that, up, down, back, left, good, bad, laughing, crying. Ponder that for a moment. What is the time? that you are in, or maybe somebody around you, right? I know Steve's family is still, a year later, adjusting to time without Steve, which I just wanted to say the picture on his program, I never knew Fred, right? I came here after Fred had passed, and he looks exactly the same <laughs> as the Steve I know, and, and we'll look forward to it. I know when I see him, he's going to look different, and he's probably going to think, hey, Greg, I'm surprised you even made it. Or, you know, he'll make some joke because <laughs> he does. But what time is it? Maybe God wants to refocus you right now or use you to reach somebody around you. The second question or statement, my view of God is what? And only you can go with that. I encourage you to always be adapting your view of God by what you find in here. Not what people say. I mean, some of it's good, but some of it ain't. Not by what you watch. Ugh. Right? I mean, even the History Channel. Ugh. It's horrid. But this. Okay? These are questions. Joel, Joel's not going to put them up there because they're yours. How content am I? That goes back to 3, 11, and 12. There's nothing better than for people, for me to be joyful and to do good as long as I live. 
that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. That screams contentment, if we're listening, instead of, got to have more, got to have more, got to have more, got to do more, got to do more, got to build more, got to build more, got to experience more. That screams contentment. And lastly, and probably the most important, the kingdom correlation. If you are a believer in Christ, a born-again believer in Christ, you are in the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is not complete. It's not here in its fullness. It is coming. It is coming. But it's been inaugurated or initiated. How does this and virtually everything you do relate to that? If, If people watched your life, would they think, man, this lady, she's on a whole nother track. Or would they think, this guy's just like everybody else. He just swears less or, you know, but there's really not a lot of difference. Morality is not what God called us to. Good character is not what he called us to. He's called us to be purchased by the blood of the lamb and to be redeemed. And things like morality and good character, as Tom said, those are the fruits, but that's not the tree itself. Those things should come. So I will leave you with that. Lord, thank you. Grateful. I'm grateful for this time. Literally grateful for this time. And these people, and your word, and your presence, even here with us. Um, We ask your blessing on the rest of this day. Your blessing on the meal and the fellowship that's about to take place. Your blessing on uh, our bro Steve's family as they the ones who are still here wrap up their time together your blessing on uh, people like the Frasers that we haven't seen for a long time and even people like the Steenmeyers that we see all the time you are good to us Lord and we are grateful in Christ's name amen